0: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact or donate. I'm really excited about today's guest. Jonathan Tremaine Thomas is the founder of Civil Righteousness. He directs prayer-fueled evangelism, community transformation, and ethnic reconciliation initiatives in hundreds of cities across the globe. We have a really good conversation around issues of justice, bringing all people to the table together, and how the arts can affect change in a culture. I know you're going to enjoy this one. So here he is. JT, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to have you on today.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you for having me
0: yeah you know I'd love for you just to get into your story, um especially even the beginnings before civil righteousness um really the- be- beginnings of you going into ministry, your journey with Jesus, and sharing jesus with with people around you. What was that like in your journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was really blessed to be raised in a family that feared the Lord, uh, both of my parents um, were raised in the church and, uh, or raised me in the church. And, um, so my earliest memories, really Mm -hmm. my testimony is like that of David, you know, where he said, you've been the God of my youth. And, Mm -hmm. and that's my story, my testimony. Um, but I, I distinctively had a few marking encounters with the Lord, uh, you know, that I can remember from like 12 years old at a summer camp, Mm -hmm. um, to, um, you know, later in in life, particularly in high school and in college, college was really where uh, I would say the call to full-time ministry really uh, was solidified. I had a young man who was built like me, same height as me, same complexion, mm-hmm. and he tried to actually rob me. Uh, mm-hmm. but the the robbery turned into a four hour conversation with him about Jesus, and he ended up <laughs> giving his life to Jesus. Wow. You know, if there was ever a defining <laughs> moment, that was it. Where yeah, I felt like folks said, you know, you'll do this for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and uh, and so here we are.
0: Wow, that's beautiful to be able to to take those situations and turn them into Jesus conversations. Uh, yeah, what are some of the things that you've learned? How do we turn conversations or any situations like that into Jesus conversations? Um, well, you know, I think I think there's something of an awareness
1: um, that the Lord wants cultivated in the life of the believer. You know, uh, Jesus, especially. I don't know if you you watch the Chosen, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it, it illustrates it really well. Is he's he's always seeing the need, and I think um, us being able to look at whatever situations we find ourselves in, uh, adversity, or even just the homeless person who walks up to you and yeah. asks for you know some money. Uh, those are open doors for Jesus to be made known. If yeah. if we're you know being cognizant and we have eyes to see and ears to hear of uh, yeah. the need around us.
0: Yeah, and you're looking at the need, and you know as you're you're walking in those conversations, you're actually looking to see where Jesus is good news for that person uh, in front of you. And you know the the only way that we do that, right? You have eyes to see, you have ears to hear, but we actually have to hear the person's story in front of us. Um, And, you know, I think hearing people's story is so important um, so that we could actually know that we have a shared humanity and that we're after, you know, we're all made and created in the image of God. And, you know, how important is the the aspect of story and hearing people's stories?
1: Well, I think, you know, a mentor of mine once said that uh, every human is the dream of God wrapped in flesh. Mm. And when we think of God, the master creator, the master architect and storyteller, um, he is writing such a significant uh, story in the history of the nations. When we look at the whole human struggle, when we look at our individual kind of family lineages and then our down to our individual walks and our journeys uh, through this life, I think, you know, stories have defined what has happened. Uh, you know, the times that we live in are defined yeah. by the stories that have gone before us. And um, so I, I think it's really important to, to be able to connect with people around story and to be curious as to what are the elements of story that has made up the, mm-hmm. the individual that we're facing today or that we're interacting with. Uh, because we might find some aspects of ourselves even within their stories, yeah. and ultimately, you know, we want to bring people into the the meta narrative, uh, the redemptive storyline of God.
0: Yeah, and it seems like you know you've been able to do that uh, pretty well. And it seems like one of your your big moments of you know a four hour hour conversation with some guy who tried to to rob you and mug you, and it turns into somebody giving their life to Jesus. Uh, You're probably gifted as an evangelist to be able to share the story of Jesus. Um, But you've also engaged in a lot of prophetic uh, work and prophetic action with civil righteousness and, um, you know, what was happening around Ferguson. Um, What uh, is that interplay between that uh, the evangelistic gift of sharing Jesus and the good news and then that prophetic call to action and justice Um, How how does that interplay? Well, you know,
1: the Bible tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Hmm. And, you know, the reality is in the midst of the the tumult of the nations, the the injustice that proceeds from the fall of man that leads us to build broken systems, that leads us to... um, Live and walk among those who are um, on the the blunt end of the reception of man's injustice mm. and inhumanity to one another. Um, it presents the the most the clearest opportunity for Jesus to be made known because he is first of all he identifies with the weak and the broken in Isaiah fifty three as the man of sorrows. He's described. Right. Not as the one who has it all together, but in fact, the one who's deeply broken Mm. uh, and who's rejected. And so there's uh, the personality of Jesus that I think we have to find in Scripture Mm. when we begin to talk about and look at any type of justice work or scenario where justice is being demanded. We look at um, how he took injustice within himself and walked in our shoes and, and embodied the brokenness of humanity, and then took our brokenness. So that presents an o- an opening for the person who says, "Well, you know, what can Jesus do for me? He doesn't. Jesus isn't present in my right. mourning or in my weakness." And it's mm-hmm. like, "No, wait a second. If you are broken and oppressed, you are most. He most identifies with you. He lived and dwelt among yeah. the broken, and yeah. sought after the broken. But then, you know, I would say, on the other side of that." is that he then passes that uh that entrance he he gains victory over our brokenness right, right. but then he commissions us to be the bearers of that good news mm-hmm. of the victory yeah. and we can't we you you don't bear good news in a place where there's no bad uh, right. without without <laughs> without being in a place where there's bad news right yep. so he commissions us hey you go in as the good news bearers in the place where mm-hmm. there's bad news In the place where there's mourning, I'm the one who turns mourning into dancing and sorrow Mm -hmm. into joy. And I, you know, Jesus wants to partner with us and us partner with him in being the good news bearers, not just in what we say, but indeed, like literally through our actions and him living out the embodiment of that, um, or embodying that victory through our presence and through our witness. And so that's what has really compelled, uh, compelled me and compelled us as a movement um, to encourage the church that, you know, as, as more and more conflict and kind of the darker, it seems like it's getting culturally, this is the finest moment for the light to, to break in and to break. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, to starting civil righteousness, and what does it actually mean to engage in a way where you're present in places uh, where there's uh, there's great injustice that's happening? Well, yeah,
1: you know, my journey, I would even say, started um, with questions that I begin to ask as just as a, as an African American male. Um, you know, in I'd say when I was 12 years old, I just began to I had to do a history mm-hmm. lesson, um, where in this class we had to write a paper about what period of time we would choose to live in if we didn't live in that era. So what what mm-hmm. era of human history would we live wow. in? And I was at twelve, I mean, so this is early nineties. I'm I'm thinking back and I'm looking, you know, 30 years earlier, the 60s, I'm going, uh. Things were rough. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm pretty glad I wasn't alive then. And then I'm going back 30 years earlier and I'm going, uh, oh, the Great Depression and sharecropping and uh oh, nope, I, I'm pretty good there. Then let's go back 30 more years and 30 more years. And, and I'm sitting here and I'm going, wow. At any other point, if I were alive at any other point in history, mm. then I have a problem, you know, um yeah. in, in many ways, at least within American history. Uh and that sorrow, like a deep sorrow and a deep kind of existential question, mm. uh, a, a sense of, of you know, why? And Lord, if you are who my parents say you are, then why have we gone through slavery? And why, why do people hate one another according to skin color? And why do people oppress each other? So I began to ask those deep questions before I even understood what those Questions the wow. the yeah. the brevity the weight the gravity of them, and so I would say civil righteousness began in that moment mm. because it began with the tears the sorrow and the burden so to speak you know and when I read Nehemiah when I read Jeremiah Jeremiah wept over his people yeah. uh, Nehemiah wept over the condition of the brokenness. You know, and that weeping was what was really the power that ultimately led to the answer and the response. Now you carry something, and you carry an assignment. So I say that 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 in light of the fact that, so through my collegiate years, I noticed segregation on our college campus. You know, it wasn't a legally segregated campus, but it was a culturally segregated campus, and um, I wrestled and walked through. Uh, those identity sh- struggles, really, of, you know, what does it mean to be black, but yet have white friends? And, yeah. uh, you know, what does it mean to um, to, to live a, a really multi-ethnic and multicultural um, uh, experience, even in that environment, when a lot of the cultural norms pushed against it? And so um, when Ferguson broke out, I'll, I'll just fast forward, when Ferguson happened in 2014 and it really ripped the, 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 the facades and the band-aids off of America's wounds. Yep. Um, it just just became really clear that, uh, that we've had generational wounding in this nation, trauma even that's been passed mm. along that's never been healed. And, um, I began to ask the question, Lord, what, what would you have us do? And so the Lord had me and my family move, uh, to Ferguson, hmm. And the, the more we engage, the the deeper we realized, you know, this onion, <laughs> this is an onion. You know, this is not just an isolated incident, but man, there are depths to this um, that we need to give our lives to serving and uh, see if we can can dig into this and find the balm of healing, which yeah. has to be one, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so ever since then, we've been stewarding the Ministry of Reconciliation both locally and nationally.
0: Yeah, and I, man, it's a beautiful work, and it's it, it's a it's a big big work, especially if you're thinking about generational trauma, um, things that and whole systems that are broken that need to be changed uh, right. and shifted. Um, there's all sorts of of work. Um, so, what is it, how do you engage in work that that moves the needle? Um, that's not, I mean, I've seen all sorts of of justice efforts in the world. Um, and it looks like, you know, in the world without Jesus, it seems like we shift the needle just a little bit. Um, and right. then there's all sorts of backlash because I actually don't think it's rooted in what it needs to be rooted in. Um, so how do we, as followers of Jesus, root uh, justice in in Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus, so that we could really shift that needle, and we could really affect change, and we could see every person for who they truly are as sons or daughters of the King?
1: Yes. Well, I, I think that um, the the first key is understanding not separating justice from something that Jesus does, but, but uh, or not extracting justice as just an action,
0: Mm. but
1: beginning to view justice as a person,
0: Mm.
1: Um, meaning the person, uh, Jesus is the person of justice Mm -hmm. and he is the person of righteousness. Mm. And so justice is the outward expression of his character and his nature. (laughs) It is one of the, it is one of the very essential um, uh, DNA threads of the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, I think some strands of our, of our faith, um, uh, you know, different denominational streams, so yeah. to speak, have even come out and spoken against the work of justice because, right. um, they've seen, you know, the narrative of, of a general kind of human social justice um, can mobilize people across all different faiths and backgrounds yep. because of that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that God-shaped vacuum in our hearts, right, for eternity, right. eternity, yep. longing for eternity, and justice is an eternal thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, but I think the first, the first part of that is the us coming into an understanding that the first, the cross is actually. God executing justice on the earth and mm-hmm. vengeance and judgment on sin on our behalf. Yeah. So He's good. writing wrong things. That is, that is the work of justice, Yeah, but it doesn't end there. Yep. It's, it's the on the, the ongoing manifestation of the finished work of the cross in our day and in our time and the mm. systems structures and the cultural, the culture that we live in. And it culminates in the fullness of Jesus coming back to (laughs) execute justice. He actually, as he wages war on on nations, he treads the winepress of the nations. (laughs) Jesus comes to actually fully overthrow um, the systems of injustice and wickedness on the earth, which is what obviously we know the Jewish people, the, the, the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews thought he was doing the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, and overthrowing the Roman empire and all these different things. But the the reality is this understanding of, of justice is central (laughs) to who Jesus is and to the work of the kingdom. And so I think when we do understand that it moves us in a different way. Secondly, I think we have to understand that um, temporal wins, meaning, public policy is a win. We can advance the kingdom of God through public policy without a doubt. But that is not the only finish line. That is not. And I think because the the historic civil rights movement and other movements that have emerged even since then have targeted legislative victory as the finish line for real Mm. justice and victory. A lot of times we feel like we're not even doing anything unless that is also the primary aim Hmm. when in fact jesus comes and and i think he demonstrates for us the reality of uh, the transformed heart and the transformed mind the renewing be transformed by the renewing of your mind yeah um that that is actually the the probably the primary battleground is to destroy and demolish strongholds in the mind and at the heart level Hmm. that then informs the way We build, dream, uh, zone our cities, architect our communities, uh, form our relationships, and engage with one another. (laughs) And so, um, I think that's why we've gotten frustrated when we see um, we see certain things that look like justice, but at the core, they they still haven't dealt the full. They're not comprehensive enough to really bring the transformation that's eternal right. um, and that produces the fruits of the love of God that is ultimately what we see society longing for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it reminds me, I mean, we have to get to this place of of repentance, of saying, you know, we've been living one way, we need to live another way. You know, repentance in, in the Greek, it's metanoia, uh, which, you know, really means above thoughts. Um, You know, Alan Hirsch, I work with, a little bit with Alan Hirsch, and he likes to say, uh it's like a paradigm shift it's like having your mind blown um and so you have to navigate with the with the minds with the soul and the will so that you could actually change the heart so we need those mind shifts the the new thoughts we need the transformative action of the of the heart and we need the the practices um that and how do we live things out practically so that we could actually live a new reality and the reality should be a kingdom reality where, you know, as you're saying, you know, good public policy is is good, but it doesn't go further, for, far enough. And I think it's because uh, we are putting our our hope in a kingdom that is not the kingdom of God. We're putting our hope in the kingdom of America if we live in the states or whatever nation that you live in so that your the policy of that nation is going to enact change instead of the kingdom of God um, and so how do we yeah how do we live as citizens of that kingdom and walk it out and then invite people into that kingdom so that we can actually have this new reality on earth as it is in heaven
1: well I think I think part of the battle between You know the flesh and the spirit is understanding our citizenship Mm -hmm. you know when we look at when we we have to constantly be reminded of our identity uh and when we look at uh abraham and the hebrews narrative that says he longed for a city whose builder and maker is god you know he he lived as a sojourner in the earth and so i think we we live in the tension right between Being seated with Christ in heavenly places, while at the same time being citizens of America or whatever nation we're we're a part of, and and yeah. practically, uh, how do we live with our neighbor who votes radically different from us, or yep. who uh, was raised with certain biases and and paradigms that are contra- contrary to maybe even my very existence, and yeah. and so to live between the, that tension. Uh, is is something we recognize, but we do have to walk. Um, we have to lay hold of what I say. My my enslaved foremothers and forefathers understood. They said they they really had a, a deep sense of their of eternity, yeah. and that the hope of eternity and the age to come and the goodness of God and the kingdom of God. Is what sustained them and gave them strength to be servants and to mm. and to be abused and to be you know all the different tragedies yeah. that they went through. There was a a very real uh, and tangible sense of this earth is not my home, mm. this suffering is temporal, this pain is temporal, and I am on a journey passing through this. Um, and so while I'm here, I'm gonna work unto the Lord. What I do today, I want it to be an act of worship to God. Uh if I'm serving an evil master, I'm not serving them. I'm serving God. This is Lord, let this be a credit to righteousness, you Mm -hmm. know, in my heavenly bank account. You know, and there's there's something we can learn from that in our day. Uh that breeds I think humility. It breeds uh confidence uh in us to be able to stay the course. Yeah, and I think um, it causes us to also be willing to spend ourselves um, in this this kind of breath of life that we have. What does it look like to do Isaiah fifty-eight mm-hmm. and to spend yourself on behalf of the poor, mm-hmm. uh, to pour yourself out like a drink offering, as the apostles said? Yeah. Um, this is this is the 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 way. This is the way of the cross. Jesus fully fully poured out on behalf yeah. of others, even though he was sinless. So not being compelled. That's the other thing. Some, some are compelled to get engaged in the justice conversation out of a worldly sorrow out of a, mm-hmm. well, let me, let me serve here to prove that I'm not racist. You know, mm-hmm. let me serve here. <laughs> to, let me go over here. So, you know, I can kind of check off that mark that, you know, I'm, I'm, I value diversity, you know, or, you know, and God's like, no, that if our motives are worldly sorrow or instead of godly sorrow, like we're Mm -hmm. broken because we see that we have an inheritance Mm. in Christ, in one another, you know? So I'm serving the, the, I'm moving to uh, Mongolia and serving this unreached people group because I understand that, uh, that, that heaven is, is jealous for yeah. heaven's reward in these people. And, and I cannot become all I'm called to be, and we'll never know fullness until they know fullness and, mm. and I'm going after with them. So there's something about us getting to the place of, uh, uh of being spent and doing justice because we're motivated by heaven's vision and, and, and the love of God.
0: Um, I think, man, that, that's so good. And it's being poured out. You know, my wife and I spent uh, five years working with Syrian refugees in the Middle East. And we were, you know, in their homes uh, every day. And, you know, the thing that it, it it brought me to, it brought me to a place where I I eventually saw myself as not serving them. I eventually saw myself as friends of these people. And we are sharing life together. We're sharing meals together. And we are seeing each other as who we truly are as sons and daughters of, of God. And that we can actually live life together. And, but it, I had to have a shift in my mind of I'm not here to serve them. I'm here to just usher in a new hope in their life of saying, hey, there is a new reality that you could live in, and there is this kingdom of God. There's this man named Jesus that that loves you and knows you and is giving you a new hope and a new future that you didn't have before is coming from a war zone. But it, I had to do that work, and I think you know the people that I was interacting with, my friends that I ended up calling them, is they benefited from that work. And I think it really started when I asked them who they were and their mm. story, that it wasn't just a project for me, but I really wanted to know them because God knows them intimately um, and that he sees them in all of who they are. Um, the Syrians have a saying uh, in their culture. They say, Sarbena hubzamilla and it literally means between us uh, has happened bread and salt. So it means we've eaten together, so now we're friends. Wow. Um, so, how do we get people to the this common table, so we could eat together, and so we could actually see one another and know one another?
1: Oh my goodness, you're you're speaking my language. That <laughs> that is so powerful. And this is this is where even organizationally, this past summer on uh, Juneteenth, mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of this year, I really felt like I heard the Lord say, "I want you to set America's table," <laughs> and. Um, as you know, I'm kind of wondering, like, Lord, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? And um, just a couple of months later, uh, an artist and a craftsman approached me and said, "Hey, um, I've got all this lumber. Can I build you a table?" <laughs> and we're like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah. He's like, Do you? Can I build you a table?" And I'm like, uh, "Sure." And we ended up commissioning a 500-foot table. Wow. (laughs) Um, with this vision of literally setting, closing off the main street of Ferguson and setting the table through down the whole main street, (laughs) inviting the whole city to come and eat. Wow. And to literally, um, sit across the table and have tough conversations, hear one another's story and get to know one another. And we didn't get to block off the whole street, uh, Turns out, you know that Juneteenth thankfully was recognized as a federal holiday, and so yeah. <laughs> there are lots of other city events going on, and so city resources were too thin to block block it off. But we did do the table uh, in a parking lot. We had we sat at a five hundred foot table, <laughs> and um, I believe that you know it was so significant for that to happen on the day that we celebrate the final emancipation of the slaves because right. of Dr. King's you know, Dr. King's prophetic vision of one day, uh, seeing that in the really in the spirit, he was seeing and saying one day, uh, I have a dream that the sons of slaves and former slave owners would sit together at mm-hmm. the table of brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's powerful for us in our generation to literally do the dream of God that was articulated, yeah. um, over our nation. 60, almost 60 years ago, you know, uh, for us to, to come to the table and obviously spiritually, we see so many, uh, uh, the, the table of the Lord from the Eucharist to, uh, um, to even the wedding at Cana, the first miracle Jesus does. I I have to believe that was around the table, you know? And and so, Mm -hmm. so, I've begun to believe and just think, what if one of the greatest protest movements America has never seen is actually people in homes around the table? Yeah. With people who don't look like you, who have different uh, backgrounds, different experiences, maybe voted differently, whatever it is, who is that person? Maybe who's, who is your enemy? Who's, the person that you feel hates you the most, the woman said you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So what if one of the greatest healing miracles that we've never seen is the table of the Lord being spread out the, this table, uh, this communion revival, so to speak, where we're able to literally uh, start simply with one person around your table. (laughs) Um, then what what would it look like to see communities tabled, and let's let's go and let's keep going back and say, you know what, we may get offended at the table, but we're going to keep coming back to the table because we're not going to stay offended, and uh, and see yes. one another. This is yes. this is I really believe. You know, there was a a movie in the sixties with Sidney Portier called Yes, Who's Coming to Dinner uh-huh. about a yeah. white woman bringing home a black man, you know, to yeah. meet her family. This is in the sixties. Yeah. But I, I just almost feel, you know, that kind of almost in the spirit, like, guess who's coming to dinner? What mm-hmm. what would it look like to see a, a national or international movement of yes. table discussions and discovery? Mm. Uh, a, a table protest. So anyway, I, I don't <laughs>
0: want to belabor the point,
1: but uh, you, just, you can belabor you the point. point. <laughs> You're getting
0: me excited. I want to do it. I want to see it. I want to see it happen. Yeah. I want to see this 500 foot table in communities all over uh, the U.S., all over the world. Um, and it's it's important. You know, my my four-year-old son came up to me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe was, he was still three. And uh, he he's like, oh, I'm so I'm afraid of that person over there. And I asked him why he was afraid of them. He says, well, I don't know their name. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, so if I asked them, their, if you know their name, would you be afraid of them anymore? And he said, no, I just need to know their name. Um, wow. And I, you know, it, it taught me a, a great lesson right there is that we often see people, um, but we don't know them. So we're afraid of what we don't know. Um, right, but once we know somebody and we know their name, we know where they came from, uh, we realize that we have a shared humanity and a common uh, commonality that is really uh, beautiful. But we often forget that and miss that. And I think even you know, if you're looking at you know, as Jesus entered into his ministry in Luke four, and he's laying out the scroll of Isaiah 61 and saying, you know, proclaim good news to the poor, set the captives free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All the Jews were excited and they were saying, yes, this is for us. Um, We're going to be set free from the Romans. Um, And then Jesus says, well, I know what you're thinking. And he says, well, just remember that, you know, even Elijah, uh, went to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon, but none of the widows of Israel in the in the famine. Um and even Elisha, there were many lepers in the time of Elisha, but he only healed Naaman, the Syrian, um, that this is actually for all people, and that all people get to come into uh this kingdom, and that's who I'm for, um, is all people. And, you know, the Jews decided that they wanted to kill him in that moment and throw him right. off the cliff. Um, and he slipped away. But even from the moment of his, Jesus's first memory it, or ministry and declaring that, he wanted to bring people together from all tribes, tongues, and nations. He wanted to bring all ethnicities together. Like, I am for everyone, not just for, you know, the Jews of Israel. Um, since, it's true. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and, you know, we see so much in Scripture about um, the table, e- even down to the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a wedding feast. Mm. And in the church, we use, um, we use um, narrative around the harvest. Well, what is, what is a harvest most associated with? It's associated with food. Yep. It's associated with the table. Yeah. And you know, I began thinking about the fact that you cannot grow in uh, Idaho what you can grow in Columbia, South America. You you yep. can't. It's different vegetation. It's different harvest. And and so people work the land and God connects the fruits of the land. Hmm. What comes from the land are, are intricately tied to the people groups. So the harvest is even that language, you you have to think if it's a true feast or a wedding feast, um, it would be super bland if it was all grown in the same place. Hmm. But no, it's going to have the the intricacies and the the flavors of Latin America and uh, the spices of of the Middle East. And yep. you know what what type of banqueting table is this kingdom table that the Lord is setting? for the great wedding. And, and when we think about that you, in depth, you can't help, but begin to think about the beauty and the, and the, the wonder and the splendor of the nations and what, mm. what's being grown in the soil of, yeah. of where God has placed them to be stewards, you know, for a time that act 17, the boundary lines that have been placed for us in the seasons and the times. And, and so I'm just, I, I I'm excited about, this moment in history, because all of the the tensions of our times are really inviting us to press into a much higher uh, understanding of God's heart for the yeah. nations and uh, the redemption that He's working through the pain of it all.
0: Yeah, I know you have a you have a, a background in, in the arts um, and acting uh, and doing some other other work. You created a media company. Right. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things have you listened to uh, I know that you're related to Nina Simone. She was your great aunt. Is that and yes. have you heard the episode from Radio Lab called Nina?
1: No, I haven't.
0: It's it's 12 minutes long. Um, and it was uh, it came out in the wake of uh, the murder of George Floyd um, and this African-American uh, producer just tells her story of, of that, that weekend, um, getting out of the shower, feeling good. So she wanted to put on some Nina Simone and, uh, she opens up her, her door, goes out onto her balcony and hears the, the sounds of protests on the streets. Um, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, I think, uh, you know the the recording that that Nina Simone did after uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King, a few days uh, after that came on. The song "Why," you know, the King of Love is dead, came yeah. on, and she was uh, she was moved. I mean, to, to tears, like just just weeping over the situation that we find ourselves in, and how what it hasn't changed in that many years you know 50 60 years um it's uh you know so nina simone was the the soundtrack to her to her grief uh at that and i started after listening to that you know i started listening to a lot of that nina simone at that time too and it was that that soundtrack and i think uh you know song and art um and in the midst of tragedy and pain can actually help affect and shift culture. Um, and so th- what I want to ask and what I want to say, I mean, in the middle of that, is what is that, that purpose of art um, and just the, the voice that comes out of you in a way that moves people that can actually affect cultural change? Yeah, you know,
1: so I I really come from a whole family of artists and singers and musicians. And um, I I even majored in film production because I felt the power of uh, of art to in storytelling in particular to disciple nations. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and there's something about for one, I think the artists are the the the. there are historians, they yep. are, they archive, and they take, they help us take the spiritual pul- pulse of people groups in any, in every generation. I think, you know, we would not know anything that we do know about ancient Egypt if it weren't for the artisans. Um, it's the, the hieroglyphics, it's the way the coffins were made, the sarcophagus was made, you know, it's yeah. the artists are preserving Um, and there, there, there are cultural anthropologists in some sense, you know, and, and so that's why I think it's so, so critical because they reflect, I think the, the, there's something about the subconscious and the abstract that artists are able to capture. You know, they can put a sound to something that we cannot express. Right. We, we connect with God in our imaginations first, you know, yeah. Uh, when you read the Bible, if you've never been to Israel, I remember when I went to Israel and I actually was walking the land, all of a sudden things that I'd only been able to connect with and envision when reading scripture. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm imagining it until I get there and I see, and it's like, no, this is the place where the Sermon on the Mount happened. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's a real, <laughs> you know, it's a real yeah. place, you know, and but so so there's something about the the realm of the the mystery and the mystical realm of god where he is real and, and where he exists but ultimately we can only communicate um about him in in a certain place of abstractness that i think artists are uniquely equipped and wired to operate in that space yeah and so as a result artists can have a very even even you know very secular unsaved uh not following jesus can have very can be very prophetic yeah uh, because they're tapping into the realm of reality in in many senses that god operates in and so i think my aunt nina um she was she was a prophet uh, mm-hmm. She was raised in a prophetic culture. Our entire family, uh, mm. you know, were church planters and evangelists and missionaries. And she was raised in an atmosphere of revival, of heightened spiritual activity. <laughs> she understood the supernatural realm. And I believe that comes through. In fact, Elton John uh, and Madonna and Michael Jackson, believe it or not, they all sent <laughs> flowers to our family when she passed away. But with the notes that they wrote, they were talking. You know, all three of them talked about how um, being at one of her concerts or watching her perform was was spiritual. You know, it was was called the high priestess of soul. There was um, there was something of the supernatural at work, and uh, for better or worse. But that's another conversation. (laughs) Uh, But the reality is, um, you know the art opens the doors for um, for us to engage and mm. I think if if redemptively to really encounter God And meanwhile I think Aunt Nina was the, she provided the 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 soundtrack for the lament right. of yeah the the black experience in America. She was the voice of lament and you know we've had an under underdeveloped theology of lament in the yep. church. And so, if the church can't lead in lament, then God raises up <laughs> the yeah, the exactly. artist. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think that last point is really really crucial. Is that, uh, I mean, in my humble opinion, that the church is not let out in in things of lament or justice, um, in which they they need to, uh, because. As you say, Jesus is the person of justice, um, and the church is the—I believe—the embodiment of Jesus to the world, um, and so we have to lead out in those areas. And if not, uh, others will rise up in that wake because there's a void there that needs to be filled. Um, and so I'm just—I you know, just call the church to live it out and be the embodiment of Jesus and the embodiment of that person of justice to go out. Um, yeah, I just have uh, two questions right here at the end. Um, and the first one is, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Ooh.
1: I would say, I would say, know that it is the way of God to test what he approves,
0: mm.
1: um, I believe it's James one that says, "Count it all joy when mm-hmm. you endure various trials," um, because there is uh, there is faith, there is character, there is perseverance. There's there are things that, in order for Christ to be fully formed in you, twenty one year old man. With all of your zeal and passion and vision, um, there is a cost, and that cost is the is through the crucible. You know, it's yeah. the cost is the cross. <laughs> mm. You know, and yeah. um, and I, I would say that um, that I think you know, especially today, a lot of twenty one year olds, twenty somethings have deep desire for influence especially with social media um, but there's a big difference between uh, having followers and having something truly to say yeah and um, the way of of the cross the way of formation is uh, often invitations to the wilderness and to the desert yeah. and so I'd say 21 year old get ready for your <laughs> for whatever measure of voice you desire to have, get ready uh, for uh, going and being with Jesus uh, in the wilderness for for some days.
0: Yeah, that's important advice. Uh, So good. Um, And then anything that you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Yeah, you know, I'm actually, uh,
1: this is maybe more exciting for someone who lives in the St. Louis area, and I wouldn't call it exciting, but it's called the broken heart of America. Uh Um, It's a a book about St. Louis. And um, the the broken heart of America, I think, uh, really embodies. um, It's a book by a man named Walter Johnson, but it embodies um, the just the deep history of systemic injustice that has impacted all of America, but that really um, was centered in the land here in St. Louis. And it also, it kind of, that explains why Ferguson yeah. kind of was the flashpoint that, that, that spurred us, that tipped us into the age we're in today. <laughs> and I think it's really important for anyone who wants to uh, be impactful in justice work, um, to understand, I think in America today, we, we just have really short memories and we don't yep. often connect the dots as to how, what has happened in history put, sets into motion, everything mm. that you and I experience today, yep. but yet in other cultures, in middle Eastern culture and African culture, you know, they talk about things that happened thousands of years ago, right. as if happened yesterday, yep. you know, <laughs> so, um, we, we could benefit to learn from that. And mm. I think this, uh, uh, for me, it's it's really giving me uh, greater understanding and fuel to 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 pray and also act um, because you know Isaiah sixty one, which you alluded to earlier with the Luke four pass passage, uh, says that we will rebuild the the ancient yep. ruins that you know the desolations of many generations would be raised up, and so mm. in understanding generational desolation. Um, It's been really helpful, Um, but most of all, I say that because I I don't want people to read it to get more depressed, but uh, we're the people of good news, we're the people of hope, and so if it produces tears, um, God says tears are a good thing, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, Mm. and he'll use us, uh, he'll comfort us, and then use our our tears to comfort others
0: and to bring shalom. Mm. Amen. Well, JT, thank you so much. It was a privilege to to talk to you today. And I, I mean, I just really enjoyed it. It spurred me on to wanting to get a 500-foot table um, out <laughs> in my road and bring people together. So, uh, yeah, it was really good. Thank you very much.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah.